This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about The Knife Liar, a short story by Stephen King. Oh, novelette by Stephen King. First published in 1988 in a print anthology called Prime Evil News Stories by the Modern mm. Masters. And then collected into uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes and turned into a movie, which Marissa hasn't seen. But no. She, she can. It's on YouTube. And... Uh, uh, I think I think <clears throat> we must have chosen this because I was very excited about the last Stephen King thing we did, which I think was just amazing. The Running Man, yeah. The run, uh, was that the no? Yeah, The Running Wasn't Man. That? Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Power, yeah. powerful book. Powerful, powerful book. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and I was hoping to find that I'd been wrong about Stephen King all these years, you know, because everybody loves him, and I'm like, eh. He's okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I had seen this movie, and then I thought maybe we should do this. And I think that's sort of the chronology of this story. What did you guys think of this story? So wait a minute. So seeing the movie made you think that this story would be excellent and, and you'd love it? Well, yeah, because it was... Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've seen mm. the movie of Salem's Lot, I liked, or the uh. series of that. I like that. Um, yeah. But I don't tend to like Stephen King's writing that much. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I find him long, and uh, so this is a yeah. He is he is long, but you know I do enjoy his writing, and um, there are there are a lot of times when I'm reading him that yeah I feel like he's too long. But what did um, you think of this? But, but story? I really liked the story. I did, and I thought the story was much better than the movie. Hmm. Although the movie was very very faithful. I mean. Um, but but it's just like the way it was presented in the story. It it, it it might be actually a really neat study to look at, you know, because the Night Flyer is is really so very near the the story. The movie is very near the story. Mm-hmm. To to look at how Stephen King presents the stuff and how it works, and I feel that it worked way better than um, the movie, hmm. even though it was almost identical. Yeah, it was similar. Most. Paul, what did you think? I, I think the move the movie added some unnecessary elements, and I'm not so sure about kill, spoilers killing off D's as. Uh, yeah, that whereas, was very disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 add this other other reporter, uh, Catherine, and she's a rival to him, and it's like it, it's an unnecessary trap. The the story itself is lean and mean, and. Um, a sharp, interesting idea. Okay, so a vampire going around in a plane killing people. That's it. It sounds like a very weird concept, but Stephen King makes it work. Whereas the movie, I'm not quite sure, gets to that uh, level of uh, essential goodness. I mean, I think I think it's a, I think it's a little. Well, I mean, they, I mean, there's a couple throwaway lines, other King stuff in the movie, which is cute. Mm-hmm. I mean. Because he finds out, oh yeah, the plane's been to Derry, and you know Derry is where it was set, and all this other stuff. But I think the movie doesn't quite capture the essentialness of the of the story. But then again, this is a short story, so when you have that, you wind up expanding things, needing to uh, fill it out. I mean, I, I was just thinking of uh, 
Heinlein's predestination. Heinlein's all you zombies just got turned into the movie Predestination, and Predestination had to add a whole other extra plot to make it fill out to a full movie. And that's what I felt when I was watching the Night Flyers. Like, oh, so they just had to add an extra layer just to get to a movie length because it's not even a long movie. It's like yeah, barely ninety minutes. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Uh, so you're you you were in favor of the short story as well. You you thought it was good. Yeah. Yes. Marissa. Um, I also thought it was um, really good. Yeah, you're you're a Stephen um, King fan, right? Yeah, I'm a Stephen King fan, and I feel like I could pretty much just read his writing, even if he was there was no great story or anything. Like I could just sit there and just spend time with his writing. Like I really love his writing. Mm -hmm. And um, also, this short story, I'd totally forgotten about it, but I read it as a teenager, and I think it kind of affected me quite a bit then. So it was really cool to read that again and. Mm just be creeped out again and remember discovering Stephen King. Yeah. So, um, cool. I, mm-hmm. I, I actually did like this story quite a bit. I, I, I just, I, I kept thinking like while I was reading it, like I, I really like how good a clear, you know, writer he is, you know, you, there's never time when you're reading at least any Stephen King I've ever read where you, you, you sort of lose track of what's going on. Like mm-hmm. that happens a lot in a battle. There's a lot of writers who write stuff, and I mean, I teach kids to write, uh, and I I mean, I had trouble writing when I was a kid, so I understand, you know, how bad writing happens. And he's the opposite of that. He's he he absolutely translates what he wants uh, from his mind onto the page without any more words than is necessary. Um, you know, it's it's the same thing that Elmore Leonard was really good at, right? He he, he could do it uh, with dialogue incredibly well. Westlake, same story, right? Perfect sort of ability to transform thought into into word on a page. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue with King in this story was that, uh, like, I felt like there wasn't enough there. Like, it, it was just all the stuff that's on the surface. However, um, I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a depth there that I see in other things, um, other writers, that I'm not seeing. And I don't think, like, I, I looked hard for other people's uh, reviews to try and, like, I, I looked for podcasts that talked about, there's a Stephen King podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to find evidence that i was wrong that 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 there is a depth there beyond the surface of the story and i kind of think there is but i don't think it's as strong as um uh as i'd like it to be but it's it, i think there is some stuff there so like well he he's he often does social commentary yeah know, yeah so there's a little stuff, bit of that and he did so in this story too yeah i, I mean i tweeted yeah. you guys uh the the couple of quotes or at least I, one of the quotes um about the children of the 60s, uh, the, the the flower children of the 60s became the cannibals of the 90s. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a couple other uh, lines like that about uh, sort of a, a real cynicism, and and the character is, is terrific, right? Um, but did you guys find that there was a depth there? Because I, I want to tell you about mine, but it, I, 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 I pushed pretty hard to find it. Well, I don't know. To me, a Stephen King story, the depth is in the character. So it's like the the feeling of knowing people yeah. is 
the depth that I feel from Stephen King constantly. Right. I, I, I think you're right. And I just, I guess I don't normally care very much about characters, but I, I told, I mean, that's why this is so long. I was thinking about why the film needed to be, you know, add all those extra scenes. And I think it's because there's almost no characters in this story. There's, there's like four or five of them, maybe. And mm. some of them don't even have names. Um, we get a description, but mostly we're just inside one character's head for the whole, mm-hmm. the whole, the whole of the story. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, um, I, I always think makes of, it hard to film. Yeah, it does make it hard to film. And I, I always think of, um, like what's missing is it, it's all a metaphor for something. Right. And I'm not sure that this is all a metaphor for something like, uh, I think rather it's 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 just what it is, but um, I did so- find some interesting stuff in it. So, what wh- am I wrong? Is that what the appeal is? Is it's to, it's all the character and 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 this just the story in the telling? Marissa, well, I think apart from the, I mean, I don't know if it's like super deep, but apart from like the sort of obvious metaphor about um, journalism and. The bloodthirstiness of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's uh, that's part of it, absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny because I, when I was rereading this, I was remembering like as a teenager reading this, and I think it was the first time I ever understood um, about fake journalism and that kind of hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like having the story in their minds before they actually go and make the yeah. story. Yeah. So I think that was like that's why I enjoyed it so much as a teenager because I got this insight into like these adults who fake this stuff in magazines and news and I kind of looked at news in a different way after that. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's something real and I, I doubt I would have uh, thought about it very much if I had not tried to think about it very much, you know. But like I, I have re- I read a Westlake novel that's, uh, he's actually got two West. Uh, there's two Westlake novels that are on this same sort of vein, uh, you know, the tabloid newspaper um and and filling uh, filling the pages of it what what's that about and this phenomenon this social phenomenon that exists i don't get it you get it we don't get it so this is sort of a a way of approaching that yeah Mm -hmm. he uses a lot of um analogies to blood in the in the early parts of the story as well to talk about that kind of journalism like blood and guts don't forget the guts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and, and the story is very much about Richard Dees, right? <clears throat> I mean, you, you say we're in his head the whole time, but yeah, we don't really spend a lot of time with um, what he's aiming after. <clears throat> and and that's typical Stephen King. You're you're with these people, and um, you feel a depth of connection to them, and um, stuff starts to happen to them, and it kind of I think. The part of the appeal is, you know, it's almost as if it's affecting you, and uh, you're you're feeling these things happen um, through someone you're very sympathetic with. Yeah, yeah. I and know. Richard Deeds is not like a terrific person either. You know, no. it's not like, uh, um, you know, that's how he's creating sympathy. He's creating sympathy because we know him. Um, we, get, we get him. Yes, we get him. Mm-hmm. Right. I kept thinking the Weekly World News as I was reading this, listening to this story, and yeah. that's that's sort of, yeah, on the edge of reality sort of journalism, and but he himself doesn't 
I mean, it's it's interesting. It's not like he's uh he's he thinks that there's a vampire straight off. He just thinks there's a serial killer. I mean, he has to be brought to the revelation of what the true horror of what the actual night flyer really is, rather than thinking, oh, it must be a vampire and going for for full four. It's it's almost he's almost like Kolshak uh crossed with uh Lou Grant as it yeah. were. It's like mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love what Marissa said about you know knowing the story or knowing what you think the story is before you go out there, and then you that he went out there to write the story as it made sense in his head, you know. So he was going out not to find the facts, but really mm. to just sensationalize it and find things that agreed with what his view was. Yep. And then yes. in this, yeah, in the story, that moment where he says, "You're real." You know, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, exactly. That was awesome. And it hit me way harder in the story than it did in the movie. You know, um, that was one of the things that I meant by that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very well, uh, it's very, a point very well taken because one of the thing, one of the scenes is him. He's, I mean, we jump sort of back and forward in time a little bit in the story, but one of the scenes is him flying to a destination and he's anticipating what he's going to, he's going to see, right? He knows all about this air, aircraft. It's a, a Cessna Skymaster, right? It's got the belly belly hold that can hold between uh, uh, three large suitcases or five small ones, right? And he 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 says, and you sleep in that uh, in the belly of that thing, and it's gonna have dirt in it. And I know all about you. And whether that turns out to be the case or not, that's how it's gonna get written up, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a line in the movie that's not in the book, um, may, or maybe it's in the book, and I, I'm sort of getting confused because I'm thinking about it, both of them, at the same time. But w- one of the things that uh, gets said in the movie is um, don't publish what you believe. Uh, oh, that's in the book uh, as well. Yeah, How's it going? Don't believe what you publish. Yeah, don't believe what you publish and don't publish what you believe. Yeah, never believe right. what you publish, never publish what you believe. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, w- one of the other things is this is about a writer, and Stephen King's a writer, right? I, I was I was I was trying to find some evidence for my my theory in the same way that Dee's is sort of not caring about the evidence. Uh, I'm sort of in the same position. My my feeling is that since one of the stops is um, Maine, right? Um, one of the airport stops is made, is that mm-hmm. this is based on Stephen King getting on small aircraft at small airports, flying to uh, various, you know, events around the country where he's, you know, going to be feted or going to be uh, published, you know, signing mm-hmm. books or whatever it is. So he has a little bit of experience like this. He sees the various airplanes, talks with the with the pilots and the, and the people at the airports, and uh, comes up with sort of a, an idea for a story, which is where the story comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty cool. And when I started thinking about that, um, I started realizing that there's actually some stuff in here that uh, is a little deeper than I noticed in just think, thinking about it while uh, listening to it the first time. And one of those things is, who is the titular character? Hmm. Right? So you're saying it might be D's. It is D's. It's also D's. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, he's more real than anyone else. Um, he calls he calls the vampire the the uh, night flyer. Right. 
but he's the one who's doing the flying until he actually meets this real figure, right? Um, He's the one doing the flying. And then, uh, I I mean, I, I... I uh, I know a little bit about airplanes. I when I was younger, I took flying lessons. I spent a lot of time at you know little airports, and I was thinking about you know the aircraft that are mentioned. And then I realized in re-listening to it, oh, Stephen King actually just pointed to it right there, and I didn't even notice it. So the uh, aircraft that the uh, Dwight <laughs> Dwight uh, Renfield is flying. Um, is a, a Cessna Skymaster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is made by Cessna, which is, you know, one of the... It's probably the most common airplane company for small airplanes. It's the most common air, aircraft, right? If you, yeah. It's, it's like a Chevrolet or... Uh, he actually calls it the Toyota, right, of, of aircraft, that particular model, the Skymaster, which, by the way, is... Um, has twin engines, uh, one in the front, one in the back, so it's a push-pull, and it has twin booms out the back. I think he mentions in the in the book that it looks a bit like a bat. Um, and then uh, less prominent, uh, even in the movie, but also in the book, is the mention of Dee's aircraft, which is um, from a different company. Not Cessna. It's uh, what? What was the name of his? Beach, Beechcraft. Beechcraft. Uh, yeah, he oh, calls yeah. it a Beach 55. Huh. But a Beach 55 isn't just called a Beach 55. It's also got another name, which is the Baron. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh yeah. And then, uh, I I think it might be in the book, or maybe not. Um, he he. There is a fact though about it. Um, he talks about the two aircraft, and he says, I think it's in the book, he says it's the, the Crosstown Rival. Now, both aircraft companies, Beechcraft, uh, Beach, he calls his aircraft Beach because it's named after the guy. Cessna is also a guy, right, who started these two air companies. These two air companies are in Wichita, Kansas. Both the, the two biggest sort of, well, the two of the biggest light aircraft companies are in the same town. And they're rivals. And, of course, he's flying a different plane, um, a rival plane. And they're actually in competition, the two kinds of aircraft. They're both uh, multi-passenger, small-engine, twin-prop aircraft with completely different body types, right? Mm. And I I was thinking, playing up that parallel, um, you can kind of see why the movie extends the ending. It doesn't actually... um, I don't think it changes the ending as much as it extends it. And I'm not saying that that actually, you know, the events in the movie actually happen. Um, at the end of the movie, there's, you know, uh, there's another reporter that gets shot. But all of that stuff is anticipatable, I guess, if that's a word, from from what's going on in the story. But Dee's creating this creature for his story... Right, you know, you're gonna look like this, and the dirt's gonna fall out of your aircraft, and you're gonna have a big cape and all that stuff, right? That he hasn't even seen yet. Um, it's like the writer spinning his story, and and then when we get into D's a little bit, remember how D's describes uh, what soft human emotions? 
Mm-hmm. So like he didn't think they were real. What he calls them, Reader's Digest emotions, right? Oh yeah. Oh. And he's the vampire, right? He's yeah. He's this, and that's why you know Miguel Ferrer is so good at it. He's just he's monstrous, right? He's the anti antihero. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so interesting, and I, I'm sure that I'm sure that King has put this in, if not consciously, he put it in there, right? It's not just me reading it in, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think uh, especially those mentions of the blood and stuff, like all near the start of the story, kind of hint at that as well. That this is a kind of um, bloodthirsty dude who's mm-hmm. just sort of he's the vampire in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it, it, their whole thing at that newspaper, right, is to exploit the the trauma of other people's lives. And, yeah. and and the way he deals with people, you know, lying to them and he puts on the fake smile, the, he glamours them, right? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. practices yep. in the mirror, right? Uh, he's constantly practicing his, uh, I write as good as a little Boyd, right? Um <laughs> I think I think there's uh, uh sort of there is a depth there that I was maybe not missing or not seeing the first time, but it's mm-hmm. it's more subtle I guess than uh is that what makes him so popular or is it the kid just among uh, other things probably <laughs> yeah I mean he's clear he's he's writing about scary topics mm-hmm. he he does characters incredibly well yeah he does humans well yeah he's just and, and he doesn't beat you over the head with a metaphor so that, you know, it's really obvious, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he he's obviously incredibly popular, right? And I think that uh, at least half of his the stuff that he writes, he has a problem with the ending. Mm. You know, not this story. This story was no. perfect. Yeah. This story was perfect. I but, like the um, movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it's despite that, people just love him, you know, and, and I do, too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this story, like you said that, yeah, the main character having all these vampiric traits is really a cool thought mm-hmm. and it's true. And that's what he is presenting, right? Vampire you know, versus vampire. Super, yeah, exactly. I think as well, like that ending, um, it's kind of, it's interesting and it kind of plays into that because he's standing there with all these dead bodies and there's no vampire. There's no evidence of a vampire. His that's camera right. film is empty of <laughs> photographic evidence you know so um yeah did he get framed for those murders or did he do them like <laughs> well i think that's that's why what's going on in the movie ending is they're making explicit sort of the metaphor that is going on in the text because one of the things he says about the film right is the well the vampire comes up behind him says take those take those uh take those take open up that camera right take the film out and then one of the things he thinks to himself while he's contemplating this or considering it is that it won't they won't have anything on it anyways mm. because they don't show up in mirrors they don't show up in, on film but if that's true why why is the why is Dwight uh, making him pull this stuff out mm-hmm. right it's not logical if uh, I mean why does Dwight let him go? And to me, that makes it the whole story. It, it turns it into a much more interesting story because there is no vampire, right? There's just him. And he's mm-hmm. chasing a phantom. One, one of the things that happens 
when he he's um, he's calling all the airports, right? Is he finds out that there is a Beechcraft there, that uh, a Skymaster there, um, but he doesn't get the tail number from the the uh, air traffic controller, and so he's you know he forces himself down, right? So he says, you know. Uh, you just caused this problem. He cuts his own face, right? Cuts his cuts his, his body and he cuts his face in order to mm-hmm. simulate and spits spits uh, blood all over the uh, instrument uh, instruments in order to uh, justify his immediate landing so that he can, he can get this guy, right? Um, but there is a um, there is a uh, a call out. A sheet from the FAA saying, you know, if you see this aircraft, um, and we're supposed to infer, I think that that Dwight has glamoured the folks at the uh, at the facility at the aircraft uh, at the airfield, um, and that's why they didn't uh, respond to the FAA notice. Mm. You, you following me? Yeah, I'm following you, but I don't think I'm with you. <laughs> okay. Well, just, so I, I understand what you're saying. So you're saying that D's, you're saying the vampire never existed in this whole story. I think that that's and D's was the one actually doing the killing. Well, th- that's the thing is, is thing like it really struck me when I first saw the uh, the movie. I, I was like, this is this is a great story. It's like it's like an X Files episode. Right? It was around the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it it is very Kolchak. I don't think I'd seen any Kolchak. Um, but the difference was we've got basically an asshole as the main character, um, and he screws over anybody to get what he wants. He, in the movie, they've got this other uh, reporter that he he lies to in order to trick her to get help him out, right? And then, but it, it, we see that sort of happening in his own mind in the in the story. So we know he's he's a bad actor, but we don't know how bad he is. Uh, until we start comparing him to the, the, the monster that he's chasing, I guess. And then when he says that stuff about, you know, practicing in the mirror at hotels, which are his true home, right? Not his home, his apartment in New York, but his true home are the hotels where he practices in the mirror, the fake human emotions that he doesn't actually feel that the Dwight doesn't show up on any anyone else's radar other than his. Well, no, um, he does, though. The, the vampire shows up. I mean, Dees is interviewing people that have seen the aircraft. Yeah, he... he, he, he yeah, so... I agree. Uh, you know, to, I understand what you're saying. It's like, um, you know... Um, Gosh, I was. I sent you a thing by Tim Power. Tim Powers, mm-hmm. uh, a lecture. I don't know if you ever heard it. I don't know. But in that, he was saying, you know, like when you look at the the novel Dracula, you know, he said he was on a panel once where somebody said, you know, that uh, the novel Dracula is really a statement on um, feminism in the 19th century or whatever. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 no. It's a story about a guy who sucks people's blood. <laughs> and you know what I mean. So, if, but, but what his point was is that um, is that you know having the the horrors be real, 
you know, in the context of the story is more interesting than having them be imaginary, right? Yeah. We talked about this, um, what was that story? Turn of the Screw. Right. Turn of the Screw is like the ultimate ambiguous story. Right. Right. But uh, this story, to me, would would lose its power if I believed what you're saying. Um, Because I would have to believe that everything... There was nothing real in it whatsoever. I'm not sure that it's fully sustainable because there are. Yeah, the, I don't. The I don't think that it is. However, but I think that the comparison between these and the vampire is very valid, and that they both have uh, similar qualities is part of the point. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just like uh, at the beginning of the story. He's he actually or beginning of the chronology. He is reluctant to go after this story. He thinks is 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 bullshit, right? Which is kind of uh, our position, or my position, or your position, something like that, right? And then he, he's persuaded by the editor. Sorry, Marissa? Oh, yeah, okay, he's persuaded by the editor. I was going to say, I thought it was the other way around, that he was reluctant to go after the story almost. Like, when he started realizing that it might be true, he's kind of like, isn't he thinking like, oh, my, yeah, yeah, my career is washed up now? Yeah, 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 exactly. He's like disappointed he's that it might it, be real. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which... Um, I don't know. I I think it's yeah, hard so. to I think it's hard to sustain the idea that he's got a fracture in his mind so strong that he has mm. a, a second aircraft that he's flying around. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I do. People, I, I think yeah. that I think that as well. And I, I in the final scene mm-hmm. where he's taking pictures of things and and then he says, "This you know he's had enough, right?" I'm pretty sure he used that word uh, enough, mm. right? He 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 just completely can see himself from outside himself and what he's doing and the horror of what he's presented with. And he can't not feel anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says enough. And that's when he runs to the bathroom and starts to throw up in the right. base and all that stuff. But that, that, uh, that the fact to me, that's super powerful stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that, you know, I don't think that we need these to have this imaginary thing going on, this dual personality. Or whatever it would take in order to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't this think that's also, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. This is also Stephen King's uh, world as well, where all of this stuff is so real. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. You know, like. Yeah, Marissa beat me to it. I mean, this is a King story, so the monster is a monster. It's really there. It's not just imagination or a metaphor. There really are monsters in King's world. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 you know, I'm getting that. I'm just thinking this is on the borderlands between a regular uh, what Jesse likes is, you know, these very ambiguous mm-hmm. stories about what might be just a madman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like the the black cat, right, is a, a very arguable that there is no uh, haunting uh, by a cat. It's just a, it's a, uh, an abusive husband who who blames other people. Uh, I mean, all, almost all of Poe's horror stories are like that, right? Um Mm-hmm. They, they yeah, just but, yeah, describable yeah. as a madman. But the, it's the scene with the with the mirror, right? So I was thinking, why does he leave? Like in the book, he leaves him alive, right? He leaves Dee's alive. Why? Ah, I like your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a pretty good excuse. Did, yeah, right. I think that might have been part of it. But he just was don't full. tell my story. I like your work. <laughs> <laughs> he was full too, but you're right. But but you know what else he did by, uh-huh. you know, if if the vampire, um, he may have just given the police 
what they needed, so now he's he's free. The 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 vampire is completely free at the end of the story. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, is a fall guy for the vampire. Exactly, right. and nobody's nobody's looking for the vampire anymore. So That's now right. he's he's got a reset button. Now, uh, who who is it that doesn't like the ending of the movie? I, Marissa, I know you haven't seen it, but uh, I didn't like the ending of the movie. I, did, I didn't like the ending either because, and uh, well, you know, Marissa's you know read the ending of the story, mm-hmm. but the ending of the story is I, I thought it was just superb. You know, it leaves. I, I, I like the, I like the fact that he's alive and he knows that the vampire's out there and he's he's definitely going to be pinned for everything that just happened. Mm. And mm. that is horrifying stuff. And he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, I want to point out not only that. Not only that, but he feels like he might deserve it. Even you know, right. I, I get that from his character. He's like he also uh, mentions he's going to be traumatized for the rest of his life, basically. But I want to <laughs> like point out that that him. is the ending of the, of the movie as well. He is pinned for it. And the only difference is he's he's killed by the police, right? Um, and and the other journalist ensures that the the story is that you know their own journalist was the actual night flyer, and she says, yeah, and she kind of so Marissa, yeah. There's a there's a female character in the movie version. That is like a brand new reporter. Phoebe Cates is that the actress? Is it? No, yeah. no, no. Maybe I'm wrong. It's not. It's uh, Julie Entzwill with okay. the Quinzel. Okay. Mhm. Yeah, but anyway, she she at the end comes in, you know, after everything's all done, right behind the police, and the police kill Dee's because they think he did it. And then, um, oh, he's standing there. She One starts to take bodies, pictures. Right? She basically takes over his persona, kind of, you know, says, "All right, now I'm going to be as cold as he was." Hmm. So, anyway, but yeah, but I, I liked Dee's being alive. I liked him having to pay for. Uh, to me, that that is like, um. You know, when the moment that I realized he was going to be pinned for this um, was a good moment in the story, too. Yeah. Um, I like those moments in a story where you realize, oh, no, he's he's just got himself in an, uh, in something that he's not going to be able to unravel. Mm. It's good. Very well done, I thought. Yeah, I, I think I think the horror of him being captured by the police, knowing he's going to, have to live with that, living with being framed by the vampire and knowing that the vampire is real and having to deal with that is much more powerful than him getting killed by police. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to uh, also point out that Stephen King apparently worked quite closely with the uh, people who made the movie. Um, That's not necessarily an endorsement given no, to I'm not, Stephen I'm not, King films. Um, but <laughs> it actually is an endorsement of your, uh, your position that um, that Dwight Renfield is a, is a real being. Um, so... One of the th- one of the things that happens uh, in the movie is that we spend a lot more time, you know, just seeing rather than describing the emotions or feelings or backstory. We see, spend a lot more time. He's, we see him at a hotel where where he thinks either kids or Renfield has uh, uh, written "Stay away" on the you know window glass with um, blood, right? And there's a dog there, and then the you know, he goes into the Night Flyers uh, or the, um, the the Skymaster and finds a, a book of photos and, and sees, you know, this glamorous airline pilot from or pilot from the 
I don't know, the early 20th century, and, you know, somehow he's become a vampire, right? So we we get a lot more concrete um, evidence that he's a real guy. Um, and that is all not in the short story. All those scenes are not in the short story. In, in fact, there's one other scene where he's at the graveyard um, and he sees a uh, the um, tombstone uh, recently placed for one of the victims, um, and it's not it's not scary enough. So he he kicks it until it's leaning at a uh, scary angle, and then he 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 says, oh, "That's good. That's <laughs> still not good enough." And he takes out a knife and he cuts his own f- uh, finger, and then he smears blood uh, in all of his hand, and then puts the blood on the tombstone then takes a photo right so he's he's not creating the story out of whole cloth right that there's he's he's framing it he's He's spinning it improving it right so he doesn't ever uh, i I have no idea how the actual national inquirer or any of these papers work Um, i think it's pretty much like that (laughs) i'm gonna guess so too (laughs) But, you know, he's doing interviews, right? He's literally doing the job of a reporter. It's just that he has no um, sort of bias towards anything other than telling a good story, uh, which is, you know, as... No, he's he's biased, right? No, his definition of a good story is his bias. That's right. That's his only bias. He doesn't have any other, like, you know, fairness or... Or yeah. fidelity to the spirit of the truth, if not the actual truth, right? Um, right. It was great reading this now, like in this uh, wonderful right. era of fake news, and right. just hearing yes. that kind of like that mocking tone of his, where he's like, you know, like mm, maybe the maybe they need to have a dog. Readers like dogs. I'll put that in there, and you know, just yeah. yeah. No, I think that the, the cynicism is what drew me to the story in, in the original. Mm-hmm. A movie when I saw it is like oh yeah that's totally it's it's right you know um, but it's also that uh, cynicism is dangerous uh, by the way cyn- uh, cynic comes from dog and then there is a dog in the movie but <laughs> the um, <laughs> the idea of um of of being so uh, cynical it can make you feel ill and the way he throws up you know in the in not just in the film but especially in the book. In the story, he throws up in the sink, and then he throws up on the mirror. Right? He's just—he's had enough. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not just all the corpses. I don't think. I don't think so either. I think it's said himself both, as well. Yeah. Right? It's that yeah, he's agreed. He's done this, and um, I mean, we haven't compared it to Dracula. Um, he did his own version of Dracula with uh, Salem's Lot, right? So it's not exactly Dracula. Which is. Probably my favorite of his books. Mm-hmm. That one in the stand. There's a good but, audio drama. But yeah. 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 Um, but now that I've finally read Dracula, I want to reread Salem's Lot. Well, I, uh, in <laughs> because listening Dracula to, was terrific. It was a in, good book. In listening to your and Julie's uh, show on Dracula, right? Um, one of the mm-hmm. points that's made about <laughs> the ending of Dracula is, is that they're actually, they're helping him too, right? It, yeah. They're... Sure. Get, they're going the opposite way of you know p- eternal punishment. No, it's like uh, relief from eternal punishment. Release. Right. Yeah, that, it actually release. says in there that um, there was a, a a look of complete peace on Dracula's face as he right. died. Right. And hmm. um, that uh, we don't get that in here, but we do get the sympathy towards um, 
sort of a monstrous figure who uh, I don't I don't see any evidence as you know his parents abused him or there's any reason why he was like this as a kid uh, in the story I don't think there's any you know I think mm-hmm. it's just genetic or whatever um, that he has no real association with human emotions he is the kind of psychopath who uh, actually has the these feelings but they're so muted that it takes a hell of a lot of uh, destruction and abuse horror for him to and they came out it did it came out yeah that that wall was broken down yeah so yeah i love it you know that this this is not an atypical character for stephen king either um no i I was thinking about 1408 have you guys read 1408 i've seen the movie i've seen the movie (laughs) yeah that's a that's a terrific story and one of the best stephen king movies in my opinion is 1408 i really like that movie Another John uh, that, but that, again, that, it has that, a writer. That movie just creeps me out. Yeah, totally creeps me out. And it's a uh, but the main character John Cusack in the movie is also a writer, and he writes books about haunted places, right. so that you know they're like travel guides, you know. And he is not unlike the main character of the Night Flyer, where he's making stuff up sometimes, or but but he's not doing it because yeah, well he's doing it for similar reasons. He he wants to sell books. Yeah, and uh, you know you get to see him, and you know he he'll stay the night in a hotel that's supposed to be haunted, and then uh, just cynically write up in the morning, um, you know after not feeling or seeing anything, he'll uh, go ahead and write up how incredibly scary it was to stay there, <laughs> you know, and give it a star rating. Oh, know. it's too real. Yeah, and then fourteen oh eight, of course, is one that really is haunted. But talk about ambiguity. There's a lot of that in that story too. Uh, it sounds like we might ought to do that one someday. Yeah, maybe we should. I, it's very I wanna, good. It's a good on audio too. Oh, I speaking of audio, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned um, the audio version of this book is read by one of my favorite narrators of all time. Frank Did you guys listen to the audio version? Yeah, yeah, I so love good. That guy. Frank Muller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May he rest in peace, unfortunately, but um, he's magnificent. I love. Yeah, it was such King. a good reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did a lot anyway, of King sorry. stuff, I think. He did, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He, he was the preferred narrator before his his uh, accident. Right, right. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I also want to point out, this is something I do like about Stephen King. Um, you know, he writes long. He, maybe he's not as deep as I want him to be most of the time. I don't know. But uh, he, he, he writes well for film. I think everybody agrees for that. You know, things are very visual in his stuff. But beyond that, I also like that he he obviously has like all hopefully all people are like me and like him. We have evil inside of us. Like it comes mm. out and we say mean things and we oh damn it I should yeah. have said that yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And he's got a cynicism inside of him, but uh, you know he's not like that personally, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, a, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't call him cynical. I. I totally, I'm he, he, totally 100% with you. He has this deep honesty in his writing that yeah. I greatly appreciate. I think I mentioned that last time. Personally, um, he's but, not but I think that he's, cynical. I think he's he the has, opposite. Yeah. He has the model of that inside. That's why he can create these characters that are so cynical. And so when you're talking about this this uh, travel writer who, you know, sometimes wants to shit all over uh, a a hotel, right, in his review. Yeah. Everybody has an impulse to be unfair, but 
doing it in real life and doing it in fiction are completely different, right? So he yeah. can create these characters um, that are able to express uh, sort of that horror, horrific, I don't know, way of being um, yeah. and, and not be that way himself. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's what jokes are, right, in a certain sense. You, you know, uh, one of the things um, that's I think is really interesting about a joke is that it's a, an actual, like, if I, if, if, if I said, uh, you know, something rude about one of you, <laughs> not that I'm about to or anything, because that would be wrong and uh, <laughs> all that, but if I said something very rude about one of you... Um, that is, a, and and it comes out as a joke. It's still an actual thought, right? I thought that thing, and right. I think that it to deny that we we have sort of that's um, uh, gonna sound, sound like Julie or Scott now. I don't know the better <laughs> evil angels inside of us, or you know something something like that. If we if we deny that we we have um, sort of bad impulses. Is is to lie to ourselves in a worse way than being uh, just kind of mean, right? Yeah, well, I think I think what you're saying is so true about Stephen King's writing and mm-hmm. humanity because I think the reason that I fell in love with his writing as a teenager it wasn't because he wrote scary monsters and stuff. It was because um, you had those like I noticed it in this book like the the characters are so competitive and mm-hmm. awful. Mm-hmm. You have those feelings inside you as a kid. But you get you're in this world of like princesses and happy cartoon mm-hmm. creatures and all this nice stuff, and you live with adults, but you don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. And then I read Stephen King, and I was like, oh shit, this is what adults think. This is what mm-hmm. they're actually like. Mm-hmm. Like they do have all these horrible, they do fight <laughs> and they are unfair and like. <laughs> yep. They're petty so and cool. they're mean. Yeah. 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 That is so cool because I remember that exact moment too. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, fifth grade or something like that when I read my first Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And it was Salem's Lot. And, uh, no, you know, it must have been, it, it was middle school, so it would have been a little older than that. Um, but I had the exact same feeling. Yeah. It was a revelation. Yeah. And then I, I just, like, read because everything it was real, I could get I, of his. Yeah. Yeah, and I could tell it was real. I mean, I, it felt right. It felt true, you know. And that mm-hmm. uh, that's I think that's really the popularity um, behind it because uh, honestly I'm I don't I'm not that interested in you know uh, clown with a balloon or whatever I, it just doesn't appeal to me at all but I think that you can you can you and I think Stephen King's wise about this too uh, and a lot of good writers are Westlake same story right anybody who writes a lot they have to spend a lot of time thinking about things that other people don't have to think about. Like most people are busy at work, they they don't have um, time to think about why you know newspapers like the National Enquirer are so popular. But Stephen King, you know, he's a writer, and that's really his job is to think hard about real things. And so when you you say why is this phenomenon so pervasive, it it seems to endure and endure and endure. What, what's behind it? What's underneath it? And then in just spending a little time thinking about why it is, why that thing is going on, you get a very different kind of um, uh, truth than you get from reading regular newspaper stories, right? Which aren't really about that. They're not mm-hmm. about the undercurrents. They're about the facts. 
there and and I think that the insights that are laid down by the editor and and the uh, author uh, in this story are trying to poke at why those sort of prurient stories about what I think in the movie they said bad boob jobs uh, and uh, you know all the different things that you you know alien abductions and they're not interested in in the um, in the why they're interested in the what right mm-hmm. and I, it's because in a certain sense those kinds of papers are more honest than the other kinds of papers you know other kinds of newspapers because they're giving the people what they want not what what the facts are right not w- the way <laughs> um you know these facts were released and this is what we know now but rather there these are what people are really interested in it and, and on an instinctual sort of animal level yeah, which is horrendous, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what... It's that's an indictment of humanity. Yeah. yeah. That's what news is doing in general, right? It's yeah. like, you know, because they're trying to get ratings. And uh, if they're doing making decisions to improve their ratings, that's what they're, they're doing, the same thing, right? Yeah. What, what was the, What was that website? Uh, I want to say Jezebel, but that's not it. You know, the one that got sued by Peter Thiel, uh, hidden by the Hulk Hogan story. Um, oh, the Hulk Hogan was it sex Gawker tape. Or Gawker, right? So yeah. Gawker, that's it. Yeah. Right, Gawker is the online equivalent, or was the online equivalent of of uh, these sort of story. Like they don't side view. <laughs> yeah, or in, yeah, inside edition with uh, the who who's the uh, Fox News guy, uh, Fox oh. News Channel guy, right? Oh, I know who you're talking about, O'Reilly. Yeah, right, Bill O'Reilly, right? They, he he had a TV show that was essentially, and he is he is D's in a certain sense, right? He's just a <laughs> horror horror of a human being. Um, oh, how about Geraldo Rivera? Uh, yeah. Very much chasing so, up, right? And seemingly rehabilitated everything. by uh, being a, a good news journalist now, right? Really, he's he, he's just older. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, the that what Gawker got in trouble for was not falsifying facts, right? What they got in trouble for is they pissed off the wrong guy. In fact, Gawker broke news stories like crazy real news stories and they you know they were the ones who uh, ran with the story about the mayor of toronto um uh, being in a video smoking crack right this, a, a, a real thing that really happened they're the ones who run with it not not a canadian publication that that knew the same facts and didn't run with it right so there's something about these sort of um detestable uh, news sources and obviously the weekly world news or you know the one I, I don't know how that one works but National Enquirer I, I, I believe they actually have real stories I, I, I've never actually sat down and read one or looked at one but I believe that they have broken real news stories um, and Gawker was all about breaking real news stories in a certain sense all the facts were true generally right they, they made mistakes but what they got in trouble for was just releasing sort of unpopular facts, and I, I don't know how that connects with this, but it it's it, it's something King is pointing to. Have mm-hmm. uh, any of you ever seen the movie uh, Nightcrawler? Yeah, terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Yeah, with yeah. Jay Gyllenhaal. I was thinking about that as 
as I was rereading him. Yeah, that's kind of spiritual similar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind man who gets wrapped up in the own his own moves that he's trying to create and kind of a really scummy person. I mean, there's no vampires in in that movie. I don't want to mislead our listeners. I mean, it's more gangster noir sort of sort of uh, mean streets of L.A. than anything else. I mean, the monsters are all human and all awful people, not vampires. But yeah, the same sort of uh, journalism gone toxically wrong. Mm-hmm. And what a person will do t- to make a story by being sorry. I mean, I was thinking as, as, as we were describing the whole, I'm going I'm to cut my hand and smear my blood, so I have to come down now mm-hmm. to try to catch this vampire. I mean, that sort of drive, 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 do anything journalism is very much uh, reflected in that movie. Yeah. And, and, uh, he, for the most part, he wasn't making the story, right? He was just making the story visible to the, but that point where, you know, he becomes this, he becomes the story is, he becomes the the story. Yeah. Where, and he's the same kind of character, sort of emotionally stunted, uh, somehow. And, making hard to connect with but he found his right that's the thing is Dee's is really good at his job because he because of the way he is right and uh, Nightcrawler's probably a better adaptation than uh, than the (laughs) than the adaptation of Stephen King's The Night Flyer but I like The Night Flyer anyways Mm -hmm. The only thing I couldn't get over, uh, uh, Marissa, you'll have to take my word for this or the other guy's word for this, but mm-hmm. um, it, the movie was so low budget, right? They they cropped they cropped the the film so that you know they didn't have to show a big set because they, I don't think they had one. It was so low budget that the, the the editor's office doesn't have a desk; it has a kitchen table. <laughs> like they, uh, a kitchen, like they wanted, like probably what happened is they said we want a big, beautiful uh, oak desk, you know, big something big for for us to show that he's a powerful editor in this newsroom, right? And the, the rest of the set is just you know some blinds and <laughs> some glass and some people wandering around, right? The rest of the set is nothing, but they have spent a lot of time in this room, so they got this big table. The problem is. If you put a regular, you know, desk chair behind a behind a, a kit, uh, dining room table, it doesn't look right. He's way too short. <laughs> the guy's, like the, that sounds the, hilarious. The, the level of the desk is like uh, at his nipples. <laughs> it shouldn't be that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so I forgive the night flyer a hell of a lot of its problems just for being so low budget. And obviously, it was shot in 30 days. Um, it's only got one actor really in it and the rest of them are, you know, well, there's other actors, but I don't think they probably spent more than a day on the set other than him. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm a a big fan of (laughs) crappy little movies like that, that do a lot with, uh, (laughs) with, uh, what they, what they're given. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.